So when we have you know, these engines ready to go that customers can just uh, basically buy. And I think that what that's going to do is enable, you know, a half dozen, dozen more, maybe more than that, SpaceX-like companies to compete in the commercial launch market by, by outsourcing their engines to, to a product company like Ursa and not trying to build them all themselves. That's what's really going to change. From the Defense and Aerospace Report, this is The Downlink a podcast about the intersection of space, the space business, and defense. Not just what's over the horizon, but what's happening above it. I'm your host, Laura Winter. Hello, podcasters. This is the second and final part of my space travels in Ohio. The journey started in part one at Ohio State University in Columbus, which is in the West. This episode comes from the East, from a storied American heart of steel, Youngstown. The quick history is, pioneers founded Youngstown Village in 1797. Then they discovered large iron and coal deposits nearby, and that led to an establishment of their first iron foundry in 1802. The town and its fortunes grew with the demands of the Industrial Revolution and an immigrant population eager for opportunity. By 1930, it was the seat of government for Mahonan County and had grown into a city of 170,000. Here's a clip from a World War II Office of War Information film. In Youngstown, we make steel. We make steel and talk steel. I guess it's the same in Sheffield, England, or that place the Russians built in the Urals, Magnitogorsk. I'd like to tell you something about how we make steel here, and while I'm at it, introduce you to some friends of mine who work in the mills. Look down any street in town, and you'll see the mills at the end of it. There are 25 miles of them along the Mahoning River, and today they're busy day and night. Every eight hours, the shifts change, 15,000 men to the shift. Men going to work can see the freight trains bringing in the raw materials, iron ore, coal, and limestone. This is the ore. It looks like dirt, but in a few weeks it'll become part of a ship, a tank, or a gun. And in peacetime, an office building, a bridge, or a dam structure. After the war, the city's population started shrinking, but only slowly, like many mid-sized Midwestern cities. But then the unthinkable happened. This is the Campbell, Ohio steel mill of the Youngstown Sheet and Tube Company. Many of the steel workers at the Campbell Works are third-generation employees. On September 19, 1977, Sheet and Tube, now a subsidiary of the Likes Corporation, announced that it was closing down most of its Campbell plant. It's hard to believe this is happening. After working here for so many years, it's hard to believe that we're put out on the street and don't know what we're going to do. 5,000 steel workers, many of them skilled veterans of 20 to 30 years, lost their jobs. In Youngstown and nearby Campbell, they have a name for the day disaster struck. They call it Black Monday. We're going to hear more about how Black Monday was really just the beginning in a minute. But now, 45 years later, the population is roughly 65,000. Steel is still being milled, but an industry that is gaining traction and generating good-paying jobs and tax revenue is additive manufacturing. 
additive manufacturing is about making specialized parts for something bigger. Space vehicles are big and have a lot of specialized parts. So Youngstown has a space play and now is part of the space economy. Before we meet Ursa Major, which is a rocket engine company, we're going to hear from Barb Ewing, who is a native of the area and runs the Youngstown Business Incubator, which happens to house Ursa Major's rocket engine manufacturing facility. Here's our conversation. Hi, Barb. Welcome to the Downlink. Hi, Laura. Thank you for having me. Yeah, Barb, you are a force of nature in Youngstown, and I'm a Honing Valley native. Take a moment to introduce yourself and the Youngstown Business Incubator. Well, Laura, I'm Barbie Ewing, CEO of the Youngstown Business Incubator, and we are a diverse economic development organization, so we don't do just one thing. We are a technology incubator for startups, both in software and additive manufacturing. Um, we are the home to America Makes, one of the national network for manufacturing innovation or manufacturing USA, but that is a separate program uh, run by a separate organization. We also have a suite of programs to help both corporate and government partners adopt additive manufacturing in our building programming and industrial IoT. And we're also the Minority Business Assistance Center for the Eastern Corridor of Ohio. So we support early stage and later stage businesses who are women-owned, veteran-owned, minority-owned, or really any socially or economically disadvantaged business. And Barb, what do you do there? Like, it seems like everything. <laughs> Um, is the question, what do I do there or what do we do as an organization do? You. Okay. What do I do there? Um, I, CEO often stands for chief everything officer. So I do whatever needs to be done on a given day, uh, to move the ball down the, the field. So I am never afraid to pitch in and help with things as diverse as fundraising to making phone calls. Um, to govern, government partners to see whether we can more deeply engage with them or our cor corporate partners. I try to be a resource to our employees and help them make their programs better by filling in whatever gaps they need. You know, to understand where Youngstown is now, it's necessary to go back in time and see where it has come from. Youngstown's rise was fueled by the demands of the Industrial Revolution. Factories were hungry for steel, and the first steelworks was established in 1803, and the men and women of Youngstown enjoyed good employment, good schools, and well-funded city, county, and state governments. And that was until September 19, 1977. Can you tell us what happened that day? Well, that is the day that lives in infamy here. Um, one of our largest steel mills shut down that day. It was very sudden. There was, you know, I don't want to say there was no warning, um, but the, the actual shutdown was very sudden. And thousands of people in a single day lost their, their jobs and were left trying to, to decide how they were going to rebuild their lives in a community that had at one point been just rich with good employment opportunities and suddenly we're seeing a just such a rapid decline that it was generational um, and it was only the first of, of many closures you know over a period of time we lost tens of thousands of jobs not thousands of jobs what was it that got you interested then in business and economics and where they meet the power of government 
I remember as I was graduating from high school, so many of my classmates and my own brother and somebody, my a, a very close fam, family friend, his foster brother, all leaving the area because there was just no feeling that there were any good opportunities here, that the chance to live, have a good life and raise a family and have a career um, just no longer existed in the Mahoning Valley. Um, of my class of 225 people, I wouldn't be surprised. I don't know the exact figure, but I wouldn't be surprised if the number of people who stayed after high school or college was less than 50%. I mean, probably 40, 30 or 40%. And I just remember thinking, first, I don't want to go. I didn't want to leave. Um, it was my home. And I also didn't want to lose everybody. But it was just a reckoning that the, the the people you grew up with, your loved ones, your friends, um, were departing um, and continue to part. Depart. Um, I heard a statistic recently that every day we lose six people in this community. Every day, there you know we are constantly facing that out migration. Even now, it's still to this day, and that's also a Midwest thing. Um, I've read studies that, you know, for all of the reasons we know, weather and um, the pulse of cities and just the the desire to relocate, you see a pretty big migration, even in larger communities like Columbus and Chicago. The difference about those cities is that they also have in-migration, um, whereas in many cities like Youngstown around um, the Midwest, we are losing people, but not replacing them at the same pace. So where is Youngstown now economically and, and where is it going? I you know I asked this because when I visited the Youngstown Business Incubator, it's rammed with expensive high-tech metal, plastic, and ceramic printers and engineers from the local university. I mean, they're manufacturing rocket engines inside Building 5. I would say the Youngstown and the Mahoning Valley as a whole is still in recovery. Um, we have really great opportunities in front of us um, as the home for America makes. We are not only trying to build an additive manufacturing cluster in the region, but get our companies locally to become more competitive and by using that technology, opening new markets, making themselves more competitive in the global market. We are also, as a region, at the forefront of the electric vehicle industry and have great things happening to rebuild the transportation industry in, in the United States and subsequently the world. Um, there still are challenges um, I'm, in some in many respects. There's still widely a perception that good jobs are not here. Um, and for many people, the jobs that they want are not here. So, you know, if you are depending upon your your interest in your field, um, you may be able to find a job, but it may not be the precise job that you want, that you do need to go to a larger market to to do the type of work that you want. Um, I think that's a mixed bag for all communities, um, but we definitely have turned the corner and um, the place feels very, very different than it did even a decade ago. How so? Give me an example. Um, even if you're just in Youngstown's downtown, I'm the, prior to COVID, there was an active nightlife and restaurants and different shows going on. It, it had that 
that pulse that you look for in a community, it may not have the same size as an Austin or San Francisco, but it did not feel as destitute as it felt in the 70s and 80, early 80s when, I mean, somebody was on a new a national news broadcast and said you could shoot off a cannon on the west end of downtown. And while, you know, it's not a very pretty picture of the community, it wasn't that inaccurate. There just really was nothing happening on the west end of downtown at that time. That's just no longer the case. I, I remember that when I was uh, driving around Youngstown, I, I saw restaurants, I saw cafes, I saw lots of young people. I, the area around the university campus is is lovely. It, it does seem like there is a lot of business activity happening. There definitely is. Um, we are still very much a traditional manufacturing community with some overlay of advanced manufacturing. Um, we have a strong healthcare network, great partners at Youngstown State University and Eastern Gateway Community College. Um, as I said, lots of good things happening. Um, we consistently hear stories about people who moved away when they were younger, right out of college. Now they want to have children and are looking to move back home and are, are trying to re reestablish themselves here. Um, and those are great stories to hear. We also know that we have been able to bring some people back specifically for additive manufacturing opportunities and have had companies move here, um, companies bringing their employees with them um, in order to be part of our additive manufacturing ecosystem. Um, when you couple that with the opportunities in electric vehicle and the fact that you know we've got some really large projects underway, it, it definitely is starting to feel like a different place than it did at one point. And Marissa Major is uh, from out of state even, and they decided to go to Youngstown. And it's kind of interesting that they went there because Ursa Major is from Colorado, and so is the Space Foundation. And the Space Foundation hosted a seminar on commercial space opportunities um, on the ground as well as on orbit. And I know you attended. So I'm kind of wondering about space because there's a real push by the Ohio State government to get into the commercial space game and stay there. Is Youngstown going to grow more space businesses? Well, we certainly want to. Um, so first and foremost, you know, we are not far away from NASA Glenn. Um, it's on the other side of Cleveland, and we are definitely part of the Northeast Ohio um, ecosystem that NASA Glenn is a part of as well. Um, we are always interested in finding ways to, to engage with our government partners, and um, NASA is a great one. As you look at where the world is evolving, you all, you as you're doing economic development, you're not just looking for jobs. You're looking for well-paying, highly established industries that will continue to grow. Um, you know, the truism is you don't want to be the last buggy whip maker. Um, aerospace is certainly an industry that you are starting to see blossoming in. And it is an industry that is ripe for the um, strengths of additive manufacturing. Um, when you're using additive manufacturing as a principal manufacturing process, you're looking for low volume production, highly complex parts, um, opportunities that are um, value added. You you want to be able to make something better using additive manufacturing rather than just making a traditional coffee cup or something like that. Because of the nature of aerospace that you're looking at 
limited numbers of parts and light weighted in order to make the the products more fuel efficient and, and highly of, highly iterative too i mean the whole correct. fact that yes. you guys have just a ton of printers of all shapes sizes and descriptions you know when i've talked to the folks there i mean they're able to take changes and put those changes into the printed part which are highly complex geometric shapes Within a week of getting the CAD design, it's it's, a, it's incredible, actually. It really is an amazing technology. Um, and if you, a lot of manufacturers just think of it for making prototypes or widgets or it's a toy, whatever. Um, you don't have to be looking at it for the moonshot. Um, it has applications in everyday manufacturing um, sites all around the country. Um, we spend a lot of time looking at that, but we also are trying to build that next generation as well and find ways to engage in those new industries where additive is applicable. And certainly aerospace is key among them. Aerospace, biomedical, um, automotive in specific cases, uh, you know, it's a great technology to try to find ways to deploy in order to make those products better. Barb, thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Laura. I appreciate your your interest in the Moaning Valley. While Barb is looking at new industries for the incubator, I can tell you Youngstown is becoming known to the commercial and civil space sectors. Unbeknownst to Barb, at the recent Lunar Surface Innovation Consortium fall meeting, which was all about building an excavation on the moon, Youngstown was specifically named as the center of 3D printing. You can hear more about that meeting and developing the lunar economy in last week's podcast. But back to Youngstown. It's the place Ursa Major chose to print, yes, print its rocket engines. It works something like your home laser jet setup, but it's a whole lot bigger. Here is one of Ursa Major's engineers explaining the process. My name is Thomas Pomorski, and I'm an additive manufacturing development engineer. And I run our advanced manufacturing lab, which we run out of the Youngstown Business Incubator. So Thomas, tell me, what is it that I'm actually looking at? I mean, it looks like a really big white shoebox with cool windows and neat lights at the top that you'd see at a fair. This is a large format EOS laser powder bed fusion machine. And the way it works is you start off with a very fine metal powder. It almost has the consistency of sand. And there's a laser that melts the metal powder in the 2D cross-section of your part. So it's analogous to plastic 3D printing, except we're doing it with a metal in this case. Do you want to go over to the window and explain further? Yeah, let's go take a look. So what is it that I'm actually seeing right now? So it just laid down a new layer of metal powder, a few thousandths of an inch. And now the laser is melting that fresh layer of powder to the solid parts below it. And every time the elevator moves down by one layer thickness, spreads a new layer of powder, and then that fresh layer of powder is melted to the part below it. Um, right now, it's making a mock-up of a very small rocket engine. Unlike many other companies in Space Launch, Ursa Major has only one product line, 
printed rocket engines, which others then integrate into their launch systems. If you're skeptical, well, in late August, this startup received a $3.6 million award from the Air Force Research Laboratory's Propulsion Division. And what's more, the company's list of advisors is a who's who from the DOD and NASA. It includes Will Roper, a former assistant secretary of the Air Force for acquisition, and Michelle Florinoy, a former undersecretary of defense for policy, and Charlie Bolden, a former NASA administrator, astronaut, and a retired U.S. Marine Corps major general. To get a better understanding of the business, I spoke with Jesse Blacker, the company's director of government business development. Here's our conversation. Thank you, Jesse, for having me in your advanced manufacturing lab in Youngstown, Ohio. You're welcome, Laura. Glad to have you here. Jesse, you know, you've just joined uh, Ursa Major this year. You know, tell us about yourself and why you chose to put your experience to work for a rocket company. Sure. Um, so uh, I worked for 10 years in additive manufacturing with a company that manufactured the 3D printers themselves. Um, so we were a, a printer OEM. And I had the opportunity to go to URSA, um, really to jump to the other side of that, to be involved as an end user of additive manufacturing technology. Um, and I just found that really uh, interesting, really attractive, and put me on the other side of the other side of the spectrum from where I had sat for 10 years, but still allowed me to be involved in additive, which I'm very passionate about. URSA Major is an incredible company. They are a young startup, but I'm convinced going to change the space industry and change how we do business in space and the, the entire U.S. outlook on space. So I really believe that with the business model that they've put together, um, that we're going to change and, and have an impact in a very meaningful way. And it's exciting to be a part of that. And just up at top, um, you know, you've got some news. You just inked a $3.6 million contract with the Air Force Research Laboratory. You know, it's a tactical funding increase, or TACFI. Tell us about the deliverables. Sure. So the deliverables for our TACFI contract are going to be a qualified data set for our engines that the Air Force will use to validate their performance for missions that they have in mind in the future. So the those performance really of performance of the engines themselves, um, in terms of thrust, um, ISP, you know, those sorts of like technical performance parameters. And this isn't the first contract. No, this is not. And actually, um, TACFI is um, kind of a, a financing from the Air Force's AFWORKS program, which bridges the gap between Phase Two of an SBIR. Um, SBIR is a small business innovation research contract, and phase three, which is commercial use or you know um, deployment into a DoD system. Uh, so this funding really bridges that gap between um, developing a prototype of something versus a full official qualification within the, the Air Force in this case. And as is a TACFI, I mean that means it's intended to bridge you know that that stage two to stage three but it's also to help the company navigate through what's called the quote valley of death unquote you know what does that actually mean and what does that mean for ursa major um and i believe it's the hadley engine specifically for this particular contract correct so the valley of death is a common term used in uh 
in the SBIR world. So the government is really good about funding basic research through SBIR phase ones, where you develop a proof of concept for a given idea. Phase two, there's a lot of funding available for developing a prototype. The valley of death is getting from that prototype to actually being deployed on a DOD system or into a commercial application. And a lot of great ideas end at phase two and never see the commercial potential that they have. So TACFI is really a great program to help get over that, um, that valley of death. Specifically for Hadley, um, we are qualifying our engines, so both a sea level and a vacuum variant of the engine, so I think a boost stage and an upper stage for a rocket, for specific DOD missions. But what that means to us really is our commercial customers who have expressed interest in buying a Hadley engine from us for their rockets now will have essentially a fully flight qualified engine that they can purchase from us based on the work we're going to do in the TAC-5 program. Um, you've got a number of engines. And in fact, I'm kind of confused on how many you actually do have, if it's three, four, or perhaps five. So if you could do me a favor and actually just go down the menu, sure. you know, from like the one that's, I think, 5,000 kilos of thrust, or is it pounds? pounds. pounds oh, you're thrust, dealing yeah. in pounds? Okay. Yeah. All right. 5,000 pounds of thrust um, on, on up, just so that my listeners can see, you know, what the variety is. Sure. So the Hadley is the smallest engine. It's 5,000 pounds of thrust, um, runs on liquid oxygen and kerosene. Um, there are two variants of that engine. So as I said, there's a sea level for like a boost stage, and there's a, a vacuum variant for an upper stage uh, of a rocket. So and the techni- vacuum variant, just for everybody out there to understand, means that it is able to operate um, without the necessity of having an atmosphere or oxygen to to keep the um, the fire going, Correct. essentially. Correct. Um, so they, those are the two Hadley variants that are out there. The second engine is the Ripley. So it's a larger engine. It's 50,000 pounds of thrust. Also runs on liquid oxygen and kerosene. Is intended for both boost stage and, and an upper stage as well, but is still in early in development compared to the Hadley. And then beyond that, there's an Airway, which is a really large engine, 200,000 pounds of thrust. It's a liquid oxygen and methane engine, really intended for medium to heavy lift uh, launch applications. So it's three? Three engens. Okay. Yep. Sorry. I'm a, I mean, and, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a journalist, not a mathematician. Yeah, so it's pretty much proven out here. Three engines and um, different variants uh, of each, depending on the specific use case. And you can also cluster them together, if I'm not mistaken, for for certain projects that I've seen that you have deals with in the commercial sector. Definitely. Yep. Um, So many times we'll be placing, you know, eight, nine, ten engines, uh, or our customers will, in, in a cluster to achieve the desired thrust that they need for their rocket. And what's being made here in Youngstown? Um, So Youngstown is where we do all of our advanced manufacturing development work. So our engines are about 80% 3D printed by mass. Um, So 80% of the components are are printed. And that really was born out of a necessity when we were developing engines initially uh, because we couldn't afford to build them any other way. Um, Lead times would be too long, costs would be too high. So we really leveraged the benefits of additive manufacturing to be able to create complex shapes in a fast way. To, to build our engines and our initial prototypes. So um, as we grow and we are starting to think about making one engine a week for our customers or even, even at a higher pace, um, we have to kind of change our approach to 
how we make that many parts. Um, and part of that is going to be for critical components to actually bring some of the production under our own control. And that's what's starting here in Youngstown. So we did that with our first printer here. We're making copper components for our Hadley vacuum variant engine in Youngstown. And will the other uh, two, the Ripley and the Arroway, will they also be printed? Yes, they will. They will largely utilize uh, additive manufacturing. You know, honestly, a few years back, printing rocket engines just seemed like the stuff of, of real sci-fi. I mean, it's not even on Star Trek. I mean, you <laughs> see the openings from, star, from all the various Star Treks. They're welding stuff, mate. This is printing. So obviously now it's, it's quite real. But what's the advantage for your customers like the Air Force Research Lab? And I think you've also got another uh, uh, commercial uh, customer that wants to have an extremely high launch cadence. What's, what's the advantage for, for them as well as obviously for you? With additive manufacturing. With printing. With printing, yeah. With printing so, these rockets. Sure. I mean, this is, you know, <clears throat> it's kind of different. Yeah, so uh, 3D printing really enables an unprecedented level of complexity in manufacturing parts that is just not cost-effective through traditional means. Our parts, rocket engine parts, have a lot of complicated internal features and channels and geometries that really just, in some cases, can't be made any other way. Um, in other cases, are just would be way too time-consuming to cast or machine or forge or make it from some other more traditional manufacturing method. So in many cases, it's just enabling. In um, many cases, it's about speed. And, and I'd imagine also with testing... Because, you know, you are testing uh, these different geometries, the different plumbing that you need to get the fuel to where it needs to be and to mix properly, et cetera, et cetera. My understanding that that would cut down actually also on your, your design to test time and therefore would greatly reduce the actual cost, which then would reduce the cost for, let's say, you know, your CubeSat you know, manufacturer and operator who wants to send something up into low Earth orbit. Exactly. Um, so we pride ourselves in, really our engines are built around speed, so being able to manufacture them, um, design and manufacture them quickly at a low price point with extremely high quality, right? So we can test. Um, our Hadley engine has uh, over 40,000 seconds of um, static fire test time on it, which is an eternity in the in the rocket propulsion world, because we've been able to iterate uh, on designs, test at our own in-house facilities in Colorado, take that data, evaluate it, make design changes, send the parts back to a printer, have a part in hand in a few days, retest. So it really cuts down that time. I hate to ask, but I mean, do you FedEx it? The Hadley's not that big. Um, no, so not FedEx, but <laughs> it's a little more. Uh, the shipping is a little more involved in that. But the the parts themselves, the individual components, sure. I mean, they're going to show up if we're printing a part down here in Youngstown. We're going to um, ship it to our facility in Colorado and in a FedEx box. <laughs> the other thing that I found really interesting about your company, and that I know is of great interest to the Air Force and the U.S. Space Force, even though it's not really stated on any of the contracts or kind of part of the same family when it comes to hypersonics. Mm -hmm. What are you guys doing with hypersonics? It's also on your website. Sure. So Hadley is really the only liquid rocket engine qualified in both launch and hypersonic 
use cases. So we have a customer called Strata Launch who is developing a hypersonic um, test bed capability. So one of the biggest challenges that the U.S. faces in hypersonics is just ability to test whether that's new materials or new sensors or new any you know whatever you whatever you can think of whatever you need in, in hypersonics, but to actually test them. It going, you know, Mach 5, you have a lot of things happen. You have to really do a lot of testing. And the Talon vehicle from Strata Launch is really a test bed to help accelerate development within the hypersonic community. Now, as you're from Ohio and you are of a certain age, you know, you've seen Ohio um, manufacturing struggle. Sure. You've seen, I mean, Youngstown is a place where uh, Black Monday occurred. Mm-hmm. What does additive manufacturing mean um, to Youngstown, and do you think space is is a pathway to um, a new manufacturing um, future here? Sure. So um, I think additive manufacturing is potentially single-handedly changing Youngstown. Um, if you think about, so 10 years ago, the first National Manufacturing Innovation Institute, which is America Makes, um, was awarded. And that is located right next door here in Youngstown. And what it's done, that, that public-private partnership to really advance additive manufacturing adoption in industry has created an entire ecosystem right here in Youngstown, whether it's YBI and the different additive businesses that, that are located here um, or Youngstown State University, our engineer downstairs that you met, Ty, just graduated from Youngstown State and came right over and pursued his career in additive manufacturing here. So the entire ecosystem has kind of developed here over the last 10 years. Um, so it's pretty incredible. And I think the second part about the, the space. Yeah, because um, people don't really, I mean, when you think about Ohio, yes, you've got the NASA facility and you have the Air Force Research Laboratory, and that's that's great, but it's been somewhat distinct. People don't usually put the rest of Ohio right. into the space bucket, but I'm seeing, and maybe I'm just, because I'm biased, obviously, um, seeing that space is playing a real role here in this state. It, it does, and I think um, myself as a, as a lifelong resident of Ohio, I've, um, Ohio has a really a strong aerospace heritage, um, whether it's the Wright Brothers, whether it's John Glenn, you know, the first, first astronaut to orbit is from Ohio. Neil Armstrong is from Ohio. He taught at the University of Cincinnati. And for me, when I went to the University of Cincinnati and walked through the same building that, that he was a professor in and lectured in, I mean, it's, it's really incredible. You've got AFRL in Dayton, NASA Glenn in Cleveland. Jet aircraft engines are manufactured in Cincinnati. I mean, there's a lot of aerospace here that you really you just don't realize, I guess, how much heritage is here. And I would couple that with just Ohio's manufacturing ethic in general, right? Whether it's automobiles or tires or, or rocket engines in, in our case. So, What do you think, how do you think space is going to play a role in Ohio? Because space is, I mean, it's a burgeoning um, uh, market now. We've got so many startups and bootstrappers. Yeah. Um, I mean, they're found in places like Vermont. You sure. know, how is space and, and defense space maybe, especially with your mm-hmm. uh, organization, um, playing a role in this economy? Sure. Um, I think the, the interesting thing about additive manufacturing is that it really allows you to manufacture parts wherever you want in any, any 
you know, you're not restricted to a, a giant factory set up specifically to manufacture something. So from that perspective, um, it really can be anywhere. And the fact that Youngstown, for the last 10 years since, you know, the America Makes has been here and helped cultivate this entire ecosystem, I think it's going to play a huge role in Youngstown's future and as this entire city revitalizes and shifts away from sort of the 20th, 20th century manufacturing analog kind of uh, production to 21st century uh, digital manufacturing. Now you said Ursa Major was really in the midst of disrupting its particular particular type of line of product, which mm-hmm. is rocket engines. Now, how is it disrupting um, that market, and what do you think the future is? Sure. So how we're disrupting the space commercial space launch market can be sort of summed up. If you think about commercial space company, SpaceX, right, largest well-known space company on the commercial side, funded by Elon Musk, who's a billionaire, and they decided to make a rocket and had to build their own engine and, and build this, the stage. It is reusable, but they had to design from the from the bottom up, right? The engine through the structure, through the payloads, and everything that goes along with that. There's a lot of smaller startup launch companies looking to replicate the commercial launch model, and they're not all run by billionaires who can fund a very expensive engine development program. And so what Ursa Major is doing is saying, we have engines that are already going to be pre, they're going to be qualified, pre-qualified, if you will, for certain use cases. And instead of being vertically integrated, you can buy buy an engine from us. And that cuts down on the barrier to entry in terms of a cost, um, in terms of risk, because rocket engines are um, unbelievably complicated and difficult to engineer. And not just anybody can design one successfully. Um, so well, the fact that we have to, one, so yes. and, and neither have I. <laughs> so and we have, you know, these engines ready to go that customers can just uh, basically buy. And I think that what that's going to do is enable, you know, a half dozen, dozen more, maybe more than that, SpaceX-like companies to compete in the commercial launch market by, by outsourcing their engines to, to a product company like Ursa and not trying to build them all themselves. That's what's really going to change. And if I'm not mistaken... Your engines, or at least one of your engines, has the possibility of being reusable, is it not? Correct. So the Airway engine, which is our largest, is being designed uh, specifically to be reusable. Jesse, thank you so much for your time and for allowing me to uh, interrupt your day here. Absolutely. Thank you, Laura. It's been great. That's it for this week. If you like what you're hearing, follow the downlink on Twitter and subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast platform. For the latest defense news and analysis, listen to the Daily Defense and Aerospace Report podcast hosted by Vago Maradian and listen to Cavish Ships to hear the latest on what's happening in the maritime domain. I'm Laura Winter, and thank you for listening. Thank you.